It is a great pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of John, chapter 6. Share with you a new study God's been brewing in my own life. It's come out of John, chapter 6. You're familiar, uh, you've been familiarized this week and probably were already so with John chapter 6, that it's a uh, pivotal chapter in uh, the Gospel of John. It marks a transitional time in Jesus' ministry. He has 5,000 so-called disciples, um, self-proclaimed disciples who are following him around, believe that he is the Messiah, and they want to make him king. Uh, They're positioned out in the Judean countryside somewhere, or excuse me, out in the Galilean countryside somewhere, and uh, across the lake from Capernaum. And um, Jesus is actually sitting down teaching his disciples, crowd gathers, and uh, Jesus expresses his need to feed this crowd. And the feeding of the 5,000 comes out of that scene. At the end of, the, at the end of verse 15, it tells us that uh, they see the miracle. Um, and 14 and 15, they see the miracle. They recognize that he's the coming prophet, which is a messianic title, and they're going to come and make him king by force. Uh, ironically enough, Jesus, who came to be king, didn't want to be their king. And the, 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 the significance behind that is that the kind of king they wanted is not the kind of king that Jesus came to be, which is really significant. So, of course, he runs away from them up the side of this mountain. He hides out there till the evening hours where the disciples uh, get into a boat and head to Capernaum. And, of course, they're thinking, hey, he can swim. So they head over to Capernaum. Verses 16 through 21 give us the details of what happens in the midnight hours. Uh, and the details of what happens during this time, the 5,000 crowd are completely unaware of. They do not realize. They, they missed out on all of this. Jesus comes down the side of this mountain, walks out across the water, uh, meets the disciples, and uh, it's a phenomenal scene and a miracle there. And then he goes over to Capernaum. The morning, verse 22, uh, dawn arises. And from verses 22 to verse 24, um, they send up delegates to find Jesus, bring him down. And they're going to get on with the show, crown him king. And so the delegates go up, can't find him, come down and say, hey, he's nowhere to be found. Some boats arrive. So they come to the conclusion that they're going to go and seek Jesus, find out where he's at. So they head over to Capernaum. They find him in Capernaum. Verse 59 tells us in the chapter that the conversation that follows happens at the synagogue. So this is at the center of Jewish social life, which is also significant. This wasn't out in some, some seaside area. It wasn't on the outskirts of town somewhere that not everybody knew about it. This happened in the center of Jewish social life. Really significant. Which is why you not only have the 5,000 crowd that's there, but you have some of the, the Jews, which is John's term for the leadership of Israel, Okay, that are hostile to Jesus, that are opposed to his ministry, they pipe in from time to time during the conversation. The conversation Jesus has with the group is from verse 25 down through verse 59. And then the conversation basically ends and there's a time of response in which the, the 5,000 crowd uh, walks away and Jesus is left with 12 disciples entering into chapter 7, which is the final close of his ministry, the last uh, 8 to 9, 10 months of his ministry. 
We've been really focusing, I've been really studying uh, through this, this middle section, verses 25 down through verse 59, and looking at some of the language that Jesus uses, some of what he's trying to communicate to this 5,000 crowd. It's evident that they have a spiritual problem in their life. There is something that's wrong that he desperately needs to address because he loves them. And uh, we've been walking through some of the language that he's been using there. I'm centering in in these, these recent days from verse 48 down through verse 59, which is kind of the tail end of this, uh, of this section. And some of the language here, it's really interesting to me how the Lord works things out. The language here that Jesus uses from verse 48 down through verse 59 cannot be understood in a physical interpretation kind of context. That he is speaking about spiritual things from verse 58 down through verse uh, 48 down through verse 59. And so I've been thinking as I've been studying this and walking through this, uh, as I'm going to present this to the churches and and those who are going to endure my preaching, uh, you always open up a a sermon with an opening illustration so I really prayed about this. Dan came to me and said, hey, we're having a healing service on Friday at 2.30. Would you like to uh, be the one who pre- preaches for that? And I said, absolutely. And it really, as I began to pray about it, and as I began to, to kind of uh, look at this study here more closely, this is the perfect opening illustration of what we're going to experience today, of what he wanted to experience here with the 5,000 crowd, meaning Jesus. You say, what do you mean? From my short time in the church, one of the things that I've found uh, is when you go, it, it's, it's almost, in fact, I would use the word frustrating. It's probably an ad- accurate term. Now, obviously, I'm not frustrated with you as adults here on this camp, but speaking of all the other adults in the world, it's really interesting when you go to revivals and camp meetings, and specifically camp meetings, you come during the week and during the summer, and, and the evangelist preaches, God moves, and it's significant moving, that throughout the week, the majority of the altar is filled with the young adults. Except on the healing day, on the healing service. On the healing service, there's this big crash boom of all the adults in the camp that rush the altar and it's flooded with a response. And I used to be confused about it. I don't think I'm confused about it anymore. I'm frustrated about it. There seems to be, and obviously not talking about us, but all the other adults in the world. It's interesting the emphasis that we put on the physical in our churches. Let me say it again. It's interesting and troubling the emphasis that we put on the physical in our church. We attribute a lot of things to to the physical when really the greatest need in our life is spiritual. Some of the things that I've run across in just from my short time of following Jesus is a lot of the physical problems in my life stem from a spiritual problem in my life. And some of the things that God wants to heal, or I should say that I've wanted God to heal physically in my life, stemmed from a spiritual problem in my life. And you're going to say, give me an example of that. 2007, New Year's Eve, God dealt with me specifically. There's very few times in my life where I will say that God spoke to me, and I'm not talking about the scriptures. 
Because when I say God spoke to me, I'm talking about the scriptures. And you can say, how? Right there. That's always God speaking to me. But there's been a few times where it's just been so overwhelmingly obvious that God has, has spoken to me that it's just, I mean, he spoke to me. I um, always had a high metabolism growing up and could eat whatever I wanted. Developed a pattern in my life of living to eat. Just, I mean, I, I loved McDonald's. Some people say, I hate fast food. Oh, I love fast food. Oh, that's one of my favorite things to eat. And my, one of my things in college, I mean, I was eating four and five meals a day, but they weren't the four and five small meals a day. They were the two Whopper combo meals with the drinks and the, I mean, just, I mean, packing it on. By the time I hit 32 years old, I was about 35 pounds overweight. And I began to develop, which was a pattern in my family, of shoulder problems. I, had, I was losing mobility. And I was at a revival. <laughs> I was at a revival in the fall of 2006. And uh, God spoke to me New Year's Eve 2007. I was in the fall revival 2006. And um, I had really had struggled with my shoulder all week. I was waking up uh, in the morning and my arm would be numb. Having terrible pain in my shoulder. And you know you're out of shape when you hurt yourself sleeping. That's really, you know. So what you, football? Was it rugby? No, sleeping. Oh, I understand. So I went and, I, and there was a physical therapist. Uh, what it was is a dad in the church, his son, didn't really go to church. In fact, he didn't go to church. He wasn't into, didn't claim to be a Christian, claimed that he wasn't a Christian, but did a favor for his dad. Hey, the evangelist having trouble with his arm, take a look at him. So he literally came to one service one night, sat through the service, and then checked me out. And he was, uh, he was working with me and having me push on his arm and hold my arm in different places. And uh, after he did the exam... He said, uh, I know what the problem is. And I said, uh-oh. And I thought he was going to say torn rotator cuff or something. And without skipping a beat, he just turned and slapped my stomach really hard. And I went, oh, of course, knocked the breath out of me. And he goes, that's your problem. He goes, you're about 35 pounds overweight. He goes, your chest muscles are atrophying. And they're kind of pulling you inward. You're kind of hunched. He goes, you look like you do no physical activity at all. And that you sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day. And I'm sitting there going, he's a prophet. He's a, he has insight. And then I promise you, he looked at me and he says, if you want to look like the typical Nazarene evangelist, you're well on your way. Not talking about us, brother. But that, I, I'm just telling you what he told me. If you're looking like the typical Nazarene evangelist, you're well on your way. I got under conviction about that. Because we got in this conversation about obesity. Now, I want to be very clear on you. I'm not talking about, hear me on this, folks. I'm not talking about being overweight. I'm not talking, see, there is, there is, there is a, uh, how would you say this? There is a wrong motivation that permeates our culture and our church in terms of losing, losing weight. Not interested in looking good looking. Not interested in doing 400 crunches. I'm not talking about being a skinny toothpick, praise the Lord kind of Christian. Not talking about that. I'm not even talking about being 25 and 35 pounds technically above what you should be. I'm talking about being in shape. And that, that oftentimes, in my case, obesity was a product of an inside spiritual problem called gluttony, which is a sin. That is a sin, folks. And I was able to walk in our denomination and champion how God had over, let me overcome tobacco and alcohol. 
But I could walk in the service with two sponge cakes, one under each arm, and sit down and be the model Christian going to heaven. Folks, that is not biblical. I'm telling you, that's not biblical. And that is, gluttony is is a huge deal. And my family has a product of becoming type 2 diabetics, which is a product of our... Which is a product of our... Which is a... Not of you, you're ignoring me. It's a product of our eating, folks. I'm telling you, that's called sin. And it's a spiritual problem in our life. There is an inside spiritual problem that says, I live to eat versus eating to live, and it affects my body. And God dealt with me on that in 2007. I woke up, I was at this revival down in San Angelo, Texas. It was a New Year, it was over a New Year's Eve kind of thing. My wife was in Indiana, I was in a motel, slept on a hard bed, woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't move, my arm was numb, set up, and Jesus was like, oh, you're trashing your body. You're trashing your body and you're 33 years old. How long are you going to last? And God did something in me and I responded to that. I didn't say, I want to look like Hulk Hogan, <laughs> which I, that'd be okay if he wants to do that. But I mean, I, I, there was no motivation on that. The motivation was, hey, I want to take care of the body that he's given me. In fact, it's his body. We testify about that kind of stuff. And I want to live just as I have lived in response to him in the tobacco area, in the alcohol area, in the dress area. In all the other areas of my life, I want to glorify you and respond to you in my eating. And I had to have a spiritual movement of God, a spiritual healing in my spiritual life that fixed a physical problem. And what was so ironic is I'm just to be, hey, I'm being transparent here. I had went down to the altar at a healing service the summer before and said, touch my shoulder. And God says, I'm going to touch your shoulder. I'm going to send you a physical therapist that shows you the problem with your shoulder is not some mysterious kind of a thing that I need to touch. Respond to me in your eating. And it's an example that literally, and I mean, I could go on. And you want me to. Give me another one. Um, Ulcers. Do you know that ulcers oftentimes aren't caused from mysterious kinds of outside illnesses? That they're caused from (laughs) stress stress pressure tension I I wonder stuff about depression see you you gotta be so politically correct in this day and age oh you can't talk about depression in church because everybody's gonna stand up and say oh mine is a chemical imbalance and maybe it is I mean and that's been proven as much as you can prove it, that depression could be a chemical imbalance. But could it also be anger turned inward? Could it also be the product of unforgiven sin? Could it also be a product of a spiritual life? See, where would you start if you're overcome with depression? As a Christian, wouldn't you start with, hey, I wonder if this could be a spiritual attack or a reality in my life. I need a divine movement of God in my life. And then seek thee. You would say, Jeremiah, where would you come up with such stuff? The Bible. First, let me give you a couple passages on this before you start throwing things at me. Not that you would. Ephesians. Just consider this. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul speaks openly of something that began at the dawn of man and the creation of man. He says in verse uh, 14, 12, 
Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. See, that's where we war. That the battlefield that you and I fight starts in the spiritual realm. And you'd say, really? And I really struggle with that. But as you, I went back, and I want you to see a couple of these I'm not going to have you flipping all over the place. But I want you to come back with me to Genesis chapter 3. And it's interesting that after the fall of man, which is a theological term, after the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, God openly addresses the enemy, Eve, and Adam. And I find it really interesting that in verses 14 and 15, and specifically verse 15... Chapter 3, he says to the enemy, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head and you will attack her offspring's heel. Now, there's two ways to understand that, physical or spiritual. And I guess there is something to be said about, in general, women being afraid of snakes. And that's obviously what he's saying, that women, you're going to be afraid of snakes. Or could it be a spiritual war that is going to manifest itself physically and be found fulfilled in Jesus Christ? That he speaks of the main battlefield, is how I would say it, the main battlefield of humanity is in the spiritual realm. That what you and I need in this day, and yes, I'm not, and I'm not downplaying physical healing. I'm not downplaying my leg hurts. I'm not downplaying any kinds of physical stuff. But oftentimes, hear me on this, it seems like so much emphasis gets placed on the physical that there's no understanding or even perhaps concern with spiritual things. I've got physical ailments. I've got a... I've got a hereditary disease that no one, I've never, I don't think I've ever preached about it. I was born with it. It's a hereditary thing in my family. When I lay down, I've had it since I was a little boy, five, six years old. When I lay down uh, uh, flat, uh, my sinus cavity swells on both sides completely shut. Um, I get headaches. It's terrible. I mean, and you, you know what a stopped-up nose feels like. This is not a stopped-up nose. This is absolutely gripping, forced tight, no air coming in. And I have to use it, whether it's an oral steroid or something, to open me up so that I can sleep and get me away from the headaches. I've had that for over 30 years of my life. And today, I'm going to kneel and say, hey, oh, I'd love to breathe. <laughs> I'd love to breathe. If you, hey, I've lived it for 30 years, pray, that'd be fine. I can preach with a, just, I mean, with today's technology and met, I can live with that. But if you choose to heal me, praise the Lord. I mean, so I'm not against physical healing. I'm absolutely open to that. I think God wants to do that, and he does do that. But I think, if you ask really what I believe, based on what I'm finding in the Scripture, the real, the real healing that God desires in our, in our day is a spiritual movement in our life to spiritually heal some of the sickness in which we live that manifests itself physically. Now, you could give, go back to uh, John chapter 6 if you don't mind. But we've seen this with teens. See, we've seen this with teens. We've seen the physical manifestation of a spiritual problem. And this obviously should not be any kind of, 
can have any kind of confusion for us because we've been in services where everything we do in here has a spiritual emphasis to it. And we talked about that even some this week, that you can come in into the service and you can sing and not have worshipped. Singing is physical, and we're not into just physical, we're into the spiritual. Tithing. Tithing is not giving 10% of your money. Biblically, that is not tithing. And you can walk in and chunk 10% of your money in an offering plate, not a tithe. Because a tithe is an inside response of worship as a first fruits of his life and my life at my job in the offering plate. That's what tithe is. It's not just a legalistic kind of requirement. I mean, it's responding. It's the first fruits of, 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 of his generosity in my life. And it's an act of worship. Which is why it originated in, uh, in the place of our services, I would like to believe. So see, and you can come to church on Sunday and not have come to church. So we understand the spiritual emphasis of what we do uh, in this kind of setting. Well, some of the things we've been finding with the teens is that the, the, the spiritual condition of their life manifests itself physically. Dress. We've talked about some of the teen girls and the way that they dress. You can dress them up different and they still can have a problem because their dress is a result of a spiritual insight and perception of who they are and how a woman looks and how they see themselves. And what we've found is that when the spiritual deal is addressed in their life, it affects them physically. Amen? So you would say, okay, Jeremiah, and I understand I'm not just on my own little little horn here. This is the, and it's, it's remarkable to me, the timing of this study. This is exactly what's taking place in John chapter 6. Jesus is talking to a crowd that is absolutely absorbed with their physically, physically difficult situation. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's not the big deal. There is a spiritual problem that has to be addressed. The issue is not physically. In fact, the spiritual will fix the physical situation. This is the problem. Let me walk you through some of this. Go back with me just quickly to where the conversation begins. Again, I told you they come. There's the miracle. And they want to make him king. He runs from them, comes back. They chase him over at uh, Capernaum. And uh, uh, they pick up the conversation. It says, when they found him, verse 25, on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus gets really aggressive and just straightforward. He says in verse 26, I tell you the solemn truth. You are looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign. Jesus sees the feeding miracle not as a physical demonstration of giving physical food, but as a spiritual reality demonstrated through physical circumstances. It was a sign. There was spiritual significance. That's what he's drawing their attention to. He says, you're, but you're not looking for me because you see the spiritual significance. Guess why they're looking for him? Physical. He says, the rest of that verse, he says, but because you physically ate the loaves and physically had your fill. That's why you're looking for me. You're not interested in the, the spiritual. You're not interested in the significance of the spiritual, of what happened back here. It was a sign. You're, you're, you're stuck in the physical. And then he comes into verse 27 and he says, Do not work for physical food, for the food that disappears, for the food that spoils, but for the food that remains to eternal life. He says, Don't work for physical food, which is what you're working for. Work for spiritual food. And then he explains the spiritual food that the Son of Man will give you. The Father has set his approval on this. 
This is what you're to go after. This is what you're to hunger after. This is what you're concerned with. This is what I want to give you, not the physical. It's interesting how they respond. Verse 28, so they said to him, what must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? The grammar there is really intensive, but it speaks of the physical kind of requirements of what needs to be done, which comes from their framework. They lived in a physical kind of context where I physically worship God, physically serve God through the law. There were 613 laws of the traditions of the elders that they had to obey. 248 do's and 365 do-nots. One for every day of the year, praise the Lord. So they had these kind of do's and don'ts, this physical kind of... Jesus says, don't work for physical food, but for spiritual food. And so they say, what does God want me... Comes back to their framework. What does God want me to physically do? Jesus responds again. And he says in verse 30, or in verse 29... Jesus says, this is the deed God requires to believe in the one he has sent. Spiritual grabs them and pulls them over to the spiritual emphasis to believe. Verse 30. So they use, this is what I, I, they're almost like teens. And the teens aren't here so I can talk behind their back. But it's really interesting that they talk about, they talk about the physical with spiritual language. Does that make sense? See, it's, it's I'm going to use the right language in Sunday school class. See, if you say Jesus, Mary, or baptism in Sunday school, 90% of the time you got the right answer. What does God want to do in your life? Jesus. Like we're going to go, yes. They're using spiritual language to talk about the physical. They're still wrapped up in the physical. You say, what do you mean? Well, they say to Jesus, verse 30. So they said to them, what miraculous sign? Spiritual language. They said, we want a, okay, hey, you want us to get wrapped up in the spiritual? Spiritual, what spiritual sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Oh, by the way, our our, our, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. So they say, hey, uh, what miraculous sign? And then come back to the physical, which is what they're after. The physical food. And Jesus has to correct him in verse 32. He says, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not the, now I'll add for emphasis some of the language change. It is not the physical Moses who has given you the physical bread from heaven, but it is my spiritual father giving you the spiritual bread from spiritual heaven. They're caught up in the physical food. What miraculous sign will you give? Hey, it's lunch. We could, have, we could have food. And Jesus corrects them. It's not Moses who gave you the food. It's, again, spiritual. It's my spiritual father, spiritual bread from spiritual heaven. And then he just finds it. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And, of course, they respond and say, give us this bread from now on. We want this bread. And then Jesus pulls them back over and said, I am the bread. Now, as you go down through the chapter, this is, I mean, he just, he's pulling them the entire time, pulling them from their physical framework into a spiritual reality. There is something spiritual that needs to be done in your life that the physical cannot fix. There is something spiritual that I want to do in your life that the physical cannot fix. 
And I find it so significant and yet troubling when you come down to verse 48 through 59, the language that he uses is radical. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And in their physical mindset, they're so, they're, they so struggle with that. Uh, for instance, when Jesus is talking about his father, verse 41, the Jews respond and the Jews were hostile to Jesus, began complaining about him and said, how can he say I'm the bread that comes down from heaven? Spiritual language. They said, isn't this the physical Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose physical father and physical mother we know? How can he say I've come down from heaven? They're so steeped in their physical framework that they cannot process the spiritual language that he's talking about. And by the time you come down to verses 48 through 59, Jesus begins to use language that absolutely cannot be interpreted physically whatsoever. Physically, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That he absolutely refuses, the, refuses to allow them to remain in the physical context of a physical answer, which is what they believe they physically need. That's not the physical deal. What Jesus comes to bring is a spiritual healing in their life, which will manifest itself physically. Now, there are three things, I want to give these to you quickly. There are three things that he mentions from verse 48 down through verse 59 that he wants them to focus on the spiritual aspect of what he wants to accomplish in their life. The first you heard the other day, which is in verses 48 down through 51, which has to do with the, uh, the life issue. When he says, I am the bread of life, there are three different Greek words for life used in this gospel. There's anistemi, which is the resurrected life, psuche, which is the life force of an individual, and then there's zoe, which is eternal life. And zoe is diametrically opposed life to death, thanatos, death. If life is north, death is south. They cannot intermix. You can say, oh, it's northeast from here or it's northwest in here, from here, but someone, someone says, where are you going? You cannot say, oh, north-south. <laughs> just a little bit north-south, just really depends. They, it does not work. It's like oil and water. They are absolutely opposed from one another. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I want inside of you the spiritual life of God generating in your being that's going to overcome all death. So the physical circumstances of my life, no matter what, what they are, no matter how difficult, how, how horrific, how problematic, no matter what's taking place, that cannot produce death in my life. No, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That the spiritual life of God in my being literally opposes all death that I come up against. I thought you'd be happy about that. That's the life of God that we have. I mean, isn't that remarkable? That's the kind of spiritual life that he wants going on inside of them. But see, folks, what's so interesting is they're looking at him going, yeah, that's nice. We really just want food. I really just, do you have a tuna sandwich? That's really what I want. I mean, he's come to bring life, life everlasting, overcoming death, generating life of God, moving and pumping through their being. Chicken salad? They're, they're not interested. I was at a revival. I, my wife and I travel 50 weeks a year. We're lucky enough, cheap enough, to uh, travel and preach. And it's amazing some of the 
some of the some of the young men I come across, and um, I I try to get out of counseling. That's a I think that's I believe in long term accountable kind of counseling with a pastor. Once in a while, though, even the pastor will say, "Hey, talk to him." You know, they want to talk to you. And it's interesting how physically minded we get. We try to solve spiritual problems with physical activities. Yeah, our marriage is in trouble. So I started coming to church with her. That is a physical activity void of spiritual power. Well, I've been coming to church. And it's really interesting when you ask someone about their spiritual life. How's your spiritual life? Oh, I read my Bible. I don't smoke, drink, or chew. And They give the physical kind of See, it's not about, hey, I wonder if there's a spiritual dynamic in my home that I'm contributing to. That maybe God wants to do something beyond what I can do myself. That maybe the problem isn't physical. Maybe the problem isn't this over here, this physical kind of deal that I'm wrapped up in. Maybe there's a whole other issue that's going on in my life. And I'm, I want to invite the spiritual life of God, the generating life of God to move in the middle of my home life and have a whole different tenure that goes on, a whole different attitude that develops in my home. See, this, this, is, the kind of, this is the kind of emphasis that he's bringing to this passage. So he talks about life. Now, it's, it's really significant. When you look at the statements, uh, and he says it several times, the eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Obviously, that's not, fig, uh, that's, not, uh, uh, that's not physical to be physically interpreted. And we've traditionally, and I shouldn't say this, but it's almost comical to me, some of the tradition of the history of the church and how we've talked about, we've tried to squeeze it. Oh, it actually becomes the flesh. And, or it's, it's, Have at it. See, this is a, the spiritual significance of this, of this statement. It's a sourcing kind of an issue, folks. It's the assimilation of Jesus into my life. That food cannot, the physical food cannot meet the needs in my life. That I'm going to be hungry again. That he can settle every spiritual hunger and every spiritual thirst in my life. That he is the sourcing issue. He is the issue that fixes my life. See, he, he, is, he is the literal source of life that solves every problem that I have. Jesus is my answer. Jesus is my, he is my source of life. He is the what, he's what transforms me and, and enlivens me. And you, it's not a flesh kind of a thing. I, I struggled with this when I first went to college. And uh, this was a very, a very personal thing for me because I, um, I got to college and I realized that I wasn't like everybody else. Um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. All the other ministry students, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't have the background. I'd never read the Bible before. And all of those kinds of things. And, and uh you know, I go into ministry class. I didn't look like they looked. I didn't dress like they dressed. I didn't do my devotions every day out of the manual. And so, I mean, I just... Work with me. And uh, so I didn't... I, I just... I felt like I didn't fit in. And that I physically wasn't... Why would you call me? I don't have the physical background, the physical intelligence, the physical training. But then I begin to get in the scripture and look at all the kinds of people that God picked to use. 
how physically inadequate they were. And it's almost like what you see coming out of this man, everyone knows cannot come out of this man. It's got to be God. It is a sourcing issue. Jesus says, I want to produce in you what you could never produce. I want to accomplish in you what you could never accomplish. Second thing. The third thing that he gives is the, is the prototype language, the example of that down in verses 57 and 58. Very plain. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. In other words, what's going on in my life, the overcoming that I'm experiencing, the victory that I have, all that God's doing through me, He can do it through you. As God meets the needs in my life, He can meet the needs in your life. As God spreads victory through me, God can spread victory through you. Talking to Dan today about the, about the healing service. I think absolutely it is appropriate for you and I. Biblically, biblically, we know that we can come to God and say, Hey, I have got a physical circumstance. I've got a physical this, that, and the other. I desperately need a touch from the Lord. I, that's so biblical, you can't miss that. The problem is that I have is that most, most healing services are so absolutely consumed and focused on the physical that there's no realization of the opportunity where you can stand up and say, hey, I am so tired of being wrapped up in the attitude that I always have that I need a spiritual movement of God in my life in this area. I am so tired. Wouldn't it be neat to have some man stand up and say, I am so tired of looking at women the way that I've always looked at women. I need a movement of God. Listen to me. I need a movement of God in my life that no physical thing can. Because I'm under the impression we've tried the physical thing. Well, what's the real problem? Well, they don't dress appropriately. If we put more clothes on them, that would fix my spiritual problem. You know how ridiculous that is? Well, it's the problem is the young women. No. I don't believe that it is, folks. I think that's a spiritual issue that spiritually God wants to deal with in our life. Well, I wouldn't be the way that I was if my wife had her act together. (sighs) Seriously. Mother Teresa would get angry with her. Really? So I wonder if it's my, my wife cleaning up her physical this, that, and the other, or if it's God doing an overwhelming spiritual healing in my life, coming in and me real, I need help in this area of my life. I need you to do something I cannot do. I'm tired of living with this. I need victory in this. I just... We're going to come, and I think, uh, obviously, Brother Nichols, and I think everyone you have lined up that's going to, to be involved in the prayer uh, time, and, and uh, we want to have an opportunity to come and, and, and pray, and I don't want to... Hey, it's the second time I've been here shouldn't have to guess with me. Um, I think it's a good thing for you to come if you have physical ailments in your life. I have a physical ailment in my life that I, want, uh, that I want prayed for. But I want to ask you as you're sitting here today, is Jesus speaking to you about an inside spiritual problem in your life that he does, you don't have to live with anymore? Do you have an inside spiritual problem that he wants to heal? 
you can find victory. Because I'm absolutely concerned with the emphasis that we put in these days on the physical. And predominantly, it is. It's with the adults. And I, we, you may not see it much here, but most of the camp meetings I go to, you see it. The whole week, the altars are lined with the teens, except for the healing service. And then every, every adult and their cousin and their aunt and their uncle show up and it swells and they're all up wanting a physical touch from God. I'm concerned with that. Because I think God wants to do a spiritual revival, a movement in our day in this church where he comes and heals the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jesus, we love you uh, so much today. Come and heal. Heal our land, Jesus. Cultivate our bodies. Not just the physical, but the spiritual. As I, as I read through the Gospels and Jesus, I watch your ministry. I find that you did do all kinds of physical kinds of healings, but boy, it seemed you were so concerned with the spiritual needs of your people. And that there are times that the physical is merely a manifestation of the spiritual. What do you want to do in my life today, Jesus? What do you want to do in my heart? And I do. I got a sinus cavity that needs a touch this morning. And I, you know my heart and I, I love you so much and trust you. I trust you so much that if you choose not to heal me, I trust you with that. I trust you with that even when I don't have the correct theological answer for it. You know what's best for me and you know what's good for me. So I place my physical body before you today and ask you to have your way. But with the same breath and with more enthusiasm than perhaps I've ever had before, I give you permission, Jesus, to walk through my life and my heart. Bring healing untwist the patterns of my life, the way that I've always thought, the way that I've always lived, the way that I've always talked, the way that I've always acted. Bring new thoughts into my mind, Jesus. I'm open for your critique in this moment, in this day. I don't want to be the same tomorrow as I am today. I do. I want to be stretched. It's not just preacher language, Jesus. I want the entire physical capacity of my being to resonate with the spiritual authority of your person. I do. I want to be on display physically of what a what a 36-year-old man looks like filled with the spirit of Jesus. Move in our lives today, Jesus. Have your way in our hearts today, Lord. Bring healing from the inside out. We're going to kind of gather in these moments and I want to invite you if you would like to be prayed for. Um, we so much love you and care about your aches and your pains and your heartache. And we want to, I, I do, I want to wrap my arm around you. I want to pray with you. I want to, I want, I do, I want to, I want to, I want to somehow be involved in, in kneeling before the Father and saying, Jesus, just invite you in the midst of this situation and we want to anoint you with the oil. And, and the church, it, James, in James it says, if you have a physical, if you have a physical need, bring it to the church. 
And if there is a spiritual problem, you can be healed of that. So we want to invite you to come and and I'm not sure the protocol of how all this is going to unfold, but we want to invite you to come and kneel around the, the front altars and we want to pray with you. And there's several of us involved in this, so we can kind of work this out. But uh, if you need this, this afternoon, let's, let's gather and we want to pray for you.